Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Intrepid Times podcast. I'm Jennifer Roberts, and I'm so excited to be here today with Shafiq Meji. I'll let him say hi in just a second, but a bit of an introduction first for everybody. Uh, Shafiq is an award-winning journalist, travel writer, and author. He was a 2022 finalist for Travel Journalist of the Year, and in March 2022, he published Crossed Off the Map, which was shortlisted for the 2023 Edward Stanford Travel Book of the Year. Uh, the book is the inspiration for today's podcast and is, you know, just a truly fascinating combination of travel writing, history, reportage, um, and we will get into all of that in a moment. Um, but just let me pause for a second to let Shafiq get in a few words. Um, thank you so much for speaking with me today, Shafiq. Oh, my absolute pleasure, Jennifer. Uh, yeah, thank you for inviting me on. I'm looking forward to uh, to chatting to you about uh, travel writing and Bolivia and uh, yeah, everything in between. Yeah. So yeah, your book, um, there's a lot going on in there. And you know, Bolivia is one of those places that I think, you know, people don't hear a lot about, which was why I was so excited when I saw that book and why I ended up picking it up. Um, you know, I live in southern Chile and, you know, Bolivia has its reputation there. Um, so I really wanted to get a different perspective and you really gave me that in that book. So that was really wonderful and thank you for that. Um, I wanted to just start because I know you've traveled a lot. <laughs> you've traveled to a lot of countries in South America, Central America, you've been around Asia. I think you've actually worked on like all seven continents if I'm not mistaken. Um, so when you were planning to actually write your first travel book, which is what Crossed Off the Map is, why did you choose Bolivia specifically? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it, as you say, I've been very lucky to you know travel a lot for work through guidebooks and article writing for magazines and newspapers and so on. But um, to be honest, Bolivia has always fascinated me since the very first time I, I visited back in 2004, before I was a travel writer or anything like that. And I was just backpacking around um south america and india for a year i was taking an impromptu gap year as i didn't take one before before i started university um as is as is often traditional and i guess at that time i didn't really know much about bolivia at all i'd always loved south america um, i was fascinated by the david attenborough um, wildlife documentaries when i was a kid um i'm a huge football fan or soccer fan so i i, I love south america for those regions reasons as well um so i was keen to come and you know go to the rio carnival to hike the inca trail you know classic gringo trail stuff um and to be honest i just needed to get from from one to the other from 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 brazil to uh to peru and uh you know i was saving the pennies at that point or the pesos and i needed a, you know an inexpensive way to travel overland between the two and obviously bolivia you look on a map of south america is bang in the middle of the two um, and kind of as soon as I crossed the border, not knowing much about the country, like I think, I think, I think many other people inside South America and beyond. But as soon as I crossed the border, I was absolutely hooked. And um, I spent several months, you know, traveling to the world's biggest salt flat, to the world's highest city, uh, to the world's highest mountain lake, uh, down the world's most dangerous road, to the world's most most uh, bio biodiverse national park. All of these incredible places, and I got a bit of a taste. For the country and its diverse cultures and peoples um and to be honest i was hooked um that that trip around south america persuaded me to change my career i was a sports journalist back back home in london that inspired me to become a uh, travel writer um then ended up doing guidebooks and, and and lots of other things and i you know spent and end up spending a lot of time a lot of my life in in south america but there was something about bolivia that particularly 
captured me and you know I, I looked around for a you know a book to find out more about it and you know in in, in recent decades really outside of academic books there's been very very little written in the English language about Bolivia so um you know as a, as a writer it seemed like a, a you know an obvious opportunity to um to to dive in and try and you know explore the country and hopefully you know share some of its fascinating stories with a uh, uh, a wider audience yeah and yeah I do feel like the book really did fill an important gap. Um, you know, the question we get from a lot of writers, you know, is how do I know what to write about or where to write about? And, you know, that's, that's a good answer. Like what hasn't been done a lot before? And, um, you know, one thing that I found myself thinking a lot about after reading your book, and it's kind of a question that's come up in other spheres, but your book in particular kind of prompted me to really dive deep into this. And I want to get your thoughts because I'm sure you have a lot of thoughts on this. But, you know, it's this, you know, kind of really strange responsibility and power that travel writers have, not only in, you know, choosing what to write about, but where to write about. Um, you know, there's this part in Crossed Off the Map where you talk about uh, Freddie Mamani, um, who is a super famous architect in Bolivia. Um, I had honestly never heard his name before. Um, and I'm sure, you know, a lot of listeners, this will be the first time they're hearing his name. Um, but, you know, he is essentially to Bolivia what Gaudi is to Spain. Um, but, you know, when we hear Gaudi, we can immediately conjure up an image of what his buildings look like and, you know, what he did for Spain. But, you know, the same is not happening for Mamani, um, you know, outside of people who study architecture, of course. And, you know, there's just this, this really underscored this idea that so much of, you know, what we know and understand about history really depends on which stories are getting told. And I wanted to get your thoughts on all of that and how much that played into how and why you decided to tell Bolivia's story. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, I think that's that's a huge issue, not just in travel writing, but obviously in, in history and in our politics more, more generally. It, it absolutely, it absolutely played into my, you know, decision to, to write about Bolivia. One, just on a, you know, on a, on a basic level, you know, as, as authors, you always want to, you know, dig up stories and histories and, you know, incidents that haven't been, you know, covered to death before. Um, so there's obviously that opportunity. But, you know, I've, I've, I've been very privileged to spend a lot of time in Bolivia over the over the years. I co-authored a guidebook to, um, to Bolivia. Um, I've you know, made many Bolivian friends and, you know, developed a real affinity and love for the love for the country. And, you know, I think it's a country that's often overlooked, even within South America. There's a lot of, um, you know, prejudice often, you know, sometimes racist prejudice against the country. Often it's just ignored. And, you know, and, and that's even more so in the international media, you know, it tends to just pop up when there's a you know some kind of political scandal, or if there's an environmental disaster, or or, or, or something like that, or occasionally it pops up if you know stories stories about the wildlife, which is incredible, but is only you know is only a small part of um, part of the story. So there was definitely you know there was definitely a um, you know that was definitely one of the driving reasons behind me wanting to write about it. It obviously you know as as, as an author as a travel writer it puts a bit of pressure on you because you also want to do it justice and you know this is my take on 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 Bolivia it's you know there's lots and lots of stories hopefully you know I would like to see more and more books written about the country and more books by Bolivian authors translated into into English 
Um, but um, yeah, it was definitely. It, I, 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 you know, I think it's important to be aware of the of these kind of issues. The other thing is that, that, that as, as I was delving into Bolivia's absolutely fascinating history, you realise that you know while it may be a bit overlooked, you know while it may be in inverted commas crossed off the map to a certain extent today, that wasn't always the case. And actually, you know, certainly in 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 Europe um, and in you know in 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 North America and elsewhere in in South America. There was a lot of there was a lot of interest in, in Bolivia because it produced you know incredible wealth, silver and tin and rubber, and so on. And actually, it's it's kind of you know it it, it, it was quite an interesting insight into just the the way things are now wasn't always the case. And actually, you know, it, it's 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 an interesting history to kind of dig up and show the linkages between us, you know, wherever you are in the world, there are linkages to you between you and Bolivia. And that's why I've tried to try to bring out a bit in the book. Yeah. And that was one of the things that, you know, really did strike me was you go a lot into, you know, kind of the place Bolivia had in the industrial revolution, you know, all these things and things that people just don't know about, don't have any understanding about. And, you know, they think that there is, you know, in North America and Europe, this kind of very like Northern Hemisphere <laughs> view that like, you know, they kind of did everything and kind of, you know, were the powerhouses behind, you know, all of these grand developments around the world. Um, but, you know, all of the countries in the world had some part in it, you know, one way or another. And, you know, Bolivia had a pretty significant part that is super overlooked. Um, and yeah, the the way that we choose to, or not even choose, but, you know, the ways that those things get pushed off to the side in favor of, you know, more developed countries. I mean, I wonder just why that is happening. You know, why we choose to tell these certain stories and why we choose to ignore other stories in favor of others. And maybe that's just, you know, the way, you know, power is set up in the world. But I wonder if you've thought about that at all. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I mean, I, you know, I think it's, it's, Probably the, the the very short answer to it to a huge question is you know it, it's the the you know the power dynamics you know economic and political and cultural you know in the quote unquote West that has you know determined a lot of the stories that we that we tell and also that you know that today makes it you know profitable feasible for you know you know people writers and publications to to cover these these kind of places places and stories. Um, and 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 I think you know it, 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 it says a huge amount about you know our media landscape about not just the stories that we cover but obviously the stories we omit and I think you know that's certainly been the case in in, in Bolivia in the you know it's often just not you know <laughs> counted in an international media sense really despite the fact that the you know that as, as I mentioned before there's huge amounts of links. To um, you know, from from a historical point of view, to the world that we live in today, and in many ways, you know, I argue, and I think, you know, hopefully provide some fairly convincing evidence that it helped to shape the modern world that we that, that we live in today. Um, but it's also, you know, it, my travels in Bolivia over the last you know fifteen years or so have really kind of highlighted. It felt like the, the future had arrived in Bolivia already. Lots of the, lots of the, the the issues that you know. Are relevant globally and that will shape our lives over the you know the, the, the years and decades centuries to come um you know have already you know play, playing out in bolivia things like the climate emergency things like mass migration things like populism uh, the war on drugs to name just a few um 
and I think you know there's there's a huge amount of value in you know looking at what's happening in Bolivia with regards to these issues and thinking well what can you know there's lots of lessons and in some cases warnings for other parts of the world that will be dealing with these issues you know in the years ahead if they're not already dealing with them now. Yeah you mentioned you know the war on drugs and that was one of the parts of the book that you know I was most interested in you know not just because you know talks about the war on drugs and that's just got a whole lot of history behind it but you know because it gave a different perspective you know it helped to show that you know there are countries that are involved in this that you know it doesn't have to be as negative as all of it sounds you know Bolivia in a large part of their economy depends on coca and like the production of it Um, you know it's a sacred plant for them and that's something that gets overlooked for the fact that, you know, this plant is developed into cocaine. Um, you know, as, you know, Americans in general understand it, you know, Bolivia is seen as, you know, the enemy because they're producing this thing that causes so many problems in the American society, you know. But, you know, you really try to, you know, if not put like a positive spin on it, you try to at least, you know, give Bolivia, you know, a little bit of credit for, you know, they're really just trying to make use of what they have. Like, every country does. And I wonder, you know, in travel writing, there is kind of this pressure to be objective, right? There is, you know, more than in a lot of other kinds of writing, there is an emphasis on fact and objectivity. And I wonder if you think that's actually possible to do, or if you feel like you really have to choose a side. I mean, I mean, I think travel writers and journalists generally often often like to present themselves as coming completely impartially but you know we're all coming we're all you know we all bring our prejudices and our biases and our interests and our political views with us and um you know and i certainly do that with 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 this book i you know i try to be as objective as as possible and you know i tried with my research, I was really keen to have, you know, as many Bolivian voices and many different Bolivian voices in it as possible, often have contradictory, you know, opinions and views on, on, on things. But um, to, as you, as you say, there's, there's a long tradition in, in, in travel writing of someone coming from outside, nor, normally, a, you know, a white, you know, fairly well off man, <laughs> in uh, you know middle ages who you know in middle age and you know coming across with with those you know with with a particular mindset that's that's often been you know shaped by the you know the, the, the pressures on them um and trying to pretend that that is completely objective is 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 nonsensical i think the best that we could do is kind of reject recognize that we can strive towards objectivity but also recognize that you know my, my own you know, views and privileges and, and prejudices and and so on um, will, will, will definitely shape my, my, my you know, the way I write about, way, way I write about things. Um, but, you know, with, with something like the war on drugs, I was particularly keen, you know, I was keen to kind of explore the issue as widely as possible because it is, you know, it, it, it's, it's a huge global issue. Bolivia certainly isn't the only country affected by it. Um, but... Um, it's often presented in a kind of black and white way and a goodies and baddies way, which is, you know, how, how lots of, lots of the media, media works. And that kind of, it doesn't really fit in Bolivia. As you say, you know, cocoa is a, you know, is it's an Andean plant. It's been used in religious and social and cultural purposes for millennia, you know, eight to 10,000 
years. The use of it in Bolivia is 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 um, legal. Cocaine is not legal in 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 Bolivia, but the use of cocaine it leaves are. Um, and also the fact that well, why you know <laughs> the other issue is why is there a you know why why, why what drives the industry, the cocaine industry? It's demand. And it's demand in North America. It's demand in Europe, in the country that I'm from, in the UK. You know, there's huge, huge uses of, 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 of that drug, among many others. Um, so it kind of leads, you know, and, and, and this is a wider, <laughs> obviously a wider discussion about whether, you know, how we, you know, um, you know prosecute or decriminalise drugs and, 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 and so on. But, you know, it's 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 a basic economic response, and it's driven by demand. Um, but you know, it's it's also had a huge you know it's had a it's had a huge impact on Bolivian culture and the and the war on drugs specifically. Um, and it's politics. You know, and and it's politics as well. I mean, I'm, I I have a um, I'm very interested in human rights. Outside of my travel writing, I, I work for um, I freelance for uh, Amnesty International, and I was really keen to show that the, you know the, the, there's, 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 there's you know the, the war on drugs in this particular context and in many other contexts leads to um, horrific human rights abuses as well. So um, yeah, so I tried to you know I tried to kind of capture as much of that as possible, and also the fact that it takes place in a fascinating part of the world and kind of you know just like the Amazonian lowlands these are incredibly biodiverse places they're beautiful places to um to explore um and i think also you know if, if you visit bolivia you will come across some of these issues um I- inevitably and so it's kind of hopefully providing a bit more bit more context and and also as i say share, sharing some you know bolivian voices and opinions on it some of which are contradictory but hopefully um provide a richer picture yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't think you can avoid contradiction in any, you know, society. I mean, there's going to be people who have one side and other people who have another side. And I think that that is, you know, the kind of beauty of exploring so many different voices is you get a lot of different perspectives. And that gets you closer to objectivity, right? I mean, it's not ever going to achieve it completely, but it gets you a little bit closer. Um, and I think that that's really important, you know, bring in the local voices because, you know, it is usually somebody from the, you know, outside, you know, air quotes, coming in to tell these stories. And there is, you know, a type of injustice in that, but, you know, it is kind of how it needs to be because a lot of these, you know, the local people don't have the ability to tell their own stories. And so the way that we work with those people in order to help them tell their stories through, you know, a certain kind of perspective, you know, there's a lot going on there. Um, but I mean, I know you have a lot of positive feelings for Bolivia. I mean, did you feel a kind of pressure to defend it? No, no, I, I kind of, I, you know, there's, I, I love, you know, I love Bolivia, but there's, you know, obviously lots of, <laughs> lots of, lots of issues like any country in it, you know, and, you know, there's also parts of Bolivia I absolutely love, parts of, parts of Bolivia less so, you know, um, so I kind of, I want, I wanted to try and, you know, from, from my own perspective to try and, you know, paint as, ac- as an accurate a portrait of the country you know, all my experiences in the country, perhaps more accurately, um, as, as possible. So, you know, you know, and I think if you talk to any Bolivian <laughs> anywhere in the country, they will have, uh, you know, as, as, as much as they may lo- love the country, they'll also be, you know, very willing to share frustrations and annoyances and, and also, you know, you know, aspects that, aspects that they don't like. So, 
I didn't feel like I didn't feel a pressure in that, and, and more generally, I don't feel pressure as a travel writer anyway. I mean, I think I think there's definitely a huge drive within the industry to, you know, almost be cheerleaders and kind of or you know, right, advertising style copy, and and you know, you look in a lot of newspapers and magazine travel writing that that a lot of it is that and if it's you know negative experiences why they're ignored or they're you know you know they're, they're, they're certainly not focused on i don't think that does anyone justice to be honest you know i'm i'm well, i want to write as good a book as possible and i you know my thinking trying to think about the readers and so you know sugarcoating everything isn't you know isn't um isn't something i'm i'm interested in in any form of my my, my travel writing and uh you know, it's, I think, not, travel writers don't always recognise the difference between, well, marketing and PR and, you know, objective, you know, being objective, quote unquote, or as objective as possible. Um, yeah, and, you know, I'm thinking a lot about, too, you know, I live in Chile where, you know, Bolivia and Chile have a very fraught history. <laughs> um, Chileans don't like Bolivians very much, you know, in general. Um, so, you know, when I mentioned to, you know, friends and my partner that I was, you know, reading your book and like, oh, this is fascinating. Like, I didn't know this about Bolivia. And, you know, I can, I'm sure you can imagine the kind of responses I got or like, why are you reading that? Like, that can't be interesting, you know, <laughs> this kind of response. And, you know, if nothing else, I mean, reading your book at least gave me a platform to say, like, I see your point. I understand, you know, why you see them that way, but there's also this and this and this happening. Um, so, you know, I'm not, you know, defending Bolivia in those conversations, but I'm bringing nuance to the conversation and maybe that's a better way to describe what you were trying to do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think Chile is a country I love and that, you know, I was there, I was there quite recently, um, as well, but yeah, it, it absolutely has a fraught history with, with Bolivia. Chile features quite a lot in the book, <laughs> actually, not least because, uh, you know, several parts of, of Northern Chile, the, uh, you know, very, um, uh, mineral rich and um, uh, important ports were were once part of what once part of Bolivia, and that's definitely show, you know has a you know even though these events took place more than a set, well over a century ago, they you know, they still have a have a you know an important impact on the dynamic between the uh, between the two countries. Um, but no, I th I, th I think it's often it, it, I was interested you know it was an interesting process to learn that kind of you know the you know the dynamics between the different South American South American countries, Bolivia and its neighbours, um, but also that you know there isn't you know it, it isn't just in the rest of the world that Bolivia is often overlooked. It's actually you know amongst its neighbours as well. You know we could be having the same conversation you know in with Argentines and Bolivians or Brazilians and you know um, Bolivians as, as as well. So um, so yeah, so I'm glad you know I'm I'm I'm, I'm glad it's it's proving a topical conversation amongst your amongst your Chilean Chilean friends and actually I think a lot of these you know a lot of these issues even though Chile has a different history to to believe it a lot of these a lot of the issues that I cover will be of you know relevance to many people in 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 Chile and and beyond as well yeah, I mean, you really make it feel like, you know, this is applicable to, to a lot of places. You know, Bolivia is not the only, you know, overlooked country with kind of a bad reputation, <laughs> right? Um, and, you know, you, I think that that's important, too, is to recognize you're talking about one specific country, but you're actually talking about a lot of different places, <laughs> right? And, yeah, I, 
I just wonder, you know, how difficult that was when you're writing this book, because you have, you had traveled to Chile before this. Um, I'm sure you had traveled, you know, to uh, Brazil and to Peru and to a bunch of different places in South America before writing this book. And so you understood the different, you know, cultural tensions that are happening with Bolivia. And I'm sure you have, you know, a lot of positive feelings for a lot of the places you've visited. So how do you balance, you know, I feel really positively about this country and this country and this country, not so much, you know, whatever. And how do you bring that into the book and, you know, help it feel just like an objective conversation where, you know, yes, Chile did this and that was really hard for Bolivia and, you know, rightly so that they're having this really complicated relationship. You know, is there a way, you know, if a travel writer is trying to kind of do this and bring in a bunch of different perspectives, you know, what advice would you have to try to balance out that conversation? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I've, I've, I've been lucky to travel around South America a lot and I used to live in Buenos Aires just across the Andes from uh, from, from you and and you know it, it, you know while living in Buenos Aires a city I love um you know you, you, you meet many you know many many Bolivians are working there as well as Paraguayans and Peruvians and people from other parts of the world and who often face prejudice um as well um it, it, I mean in terms of advice or why for that I can only say to what I would do is just, just kind of Try and explore the, you know, try and explore the issues as fully as you as you can. No country is perfect, you know, and you know, you know, every every country has difficult and complex and competing histories. Um, you know, I've always just wanted to follow interests, stories that I find interest interesting. Talk to as many people as possible and get as many different perspectives as possible. And um, you know, as I say. We've discussed the problems of, of, of object, objectivity, but kind of you know trying to explore things as much as as much as possible, and you know you, you're not there to defend or 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 or, or unduly criticise um, any country. I mean, I, I, I've, I've certainly never seen it like that. So um, I think you know have an eye for the eye for the story and, and speak to as many people as possible, and you know you'll you'll, you'll build up you'll build up your book or your article or whatever you're working on from that. Yeah, no, I think that's really good advice. You know, I think that, I mean, a lot of times, you know, in short form, it's usually coming from, you know, kind of quick trips. So it is a little bit tricky to try to get a lot of information together. You know, maybe people have traveled to this place for a week and, you know, they're writing a travel story about that. And it's not quite the same as a travel book, right? Where you're really diving into this for years at a time. Um, you know, I think that can be a little tricky, but I think that the way that, you know, one of the things you did really well was to bring those local voices in like we were talking about. And, you know, I think that's a big part of it too, is helping the country speak for itself. Um, so yeah, yeah. Thanks for that. Um, yeah. One other thing I wanted to mention, you know, I was, before we hopped on this uh, interview, I wanted to just kind of look at a couple of the articles you had written, you know, before writing the book. Um, and maybe even some of them were after the book. I can't uh, quite remember the dates, but you know, a couple of titles stood out to me. And so I kind of dove into those and just kind of saw what you were doing. Um, you know, one of them, for example, was titled How a Uruguayan Town Revolutionized the Way We Eat. Um, that looks at Fray Bentos. I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that, um, which is a relatively unknown town in Uruguay. Um, but it's a site of a meat processing plant that you know, you argue, and I'm going to quote you here, um, it had a profound impact on the way the world eats, creating one of the best known British brands of the 20th century, transforming the Uruguayan economy and helping to move global food production into the industrial age. 
Um, another article talked about the ancient peoples in the area of Llanos de Mojos in Bolivia, which actually also comes into the book, um, and how the research that's happening now is kind of showing how they're more sophisticated than we originally thought. You know, I, I don't know that this idea is fully formed, but I wanted to bring it up anyway. <laughs> um, you know, I'm feeling a little bit of a theme in your writing where, you know, it seems to want to bring some light and some insight into things that are, you know, really important and may have had a huge impact on history and the global economy and all these things, but they always somehow get pushed to the side or don't get the credit they deserve. And would you say it's fair to say that that's something that you really try to focus on in your writing? Is that a kind of niche for you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and I think it's, it's, you know, primarily driven by just, I'm interested in that kind of history and those kind of stories and those kind of places, to be honest. I think it's, um, you know, I, I'm always interested in digging up pieces of forgotten history and, you know, connections between seemingly disparate places or peoples or cultures. Um, and I think certainly, you know, looking looking at it from, like, say, a British perspective on South America, but I think this is probably true for, you know, if you're in North America as, as well, there's just, there's, there's not a lot of coverage of, of it. And, 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 and this, the, the, you know, the coverage that there is tends to focus on, on, on you know, this, the same kind of issues. In, in Europe, on the, on the football or the soccer, which I'm interested in, which is great, or, you know, it talks about the Amazon, which is an incredible place, or, you know, wildlife and all, 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 all of these things. But, you know, that's only really, it's not even, you know, it's just skimming the surface. Um, and I think, you know, I think, you know, the, the, the Frey Bentos story, I think was, you know, that was a really, that was a fun one to, to research. I think if you mention that in the UK, perhaps isn't true beyond the UK, but if you mention that in, in the UK, particularly to, you know, people who are 50, 60, 70, it's, it's a brand name that they'll be immediately familiar with. It produced corned beef and kind of, um, uh, ready-made pies and all of those kind of things. It's a staple on supermarket shelves for you know decades and decades in in the UK. And but the actual story behind it, the fact that it's a you know it's a town in Uruguay that had uh, you know one of the most modern, if not the most modern, um, meatpacking plant of its era. It's now a UNESCO World Heritage Site. That sounds a bit odd, but it's a meatpacking plant that's a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Um, and yeah, you know, and as I, as I you know, as I say, I you know, it, it helped to shape, or I certainly argue that it helped to shape the way that we eat today in terms of that it helped to industrialize food post, you know, food production. Um, you know, meat was shipped across the you know across the Atlantic on um, you know in refrigeration ships. There was it, it, you know it developed ways to preserve meat and so on, and it also had a huge impact on the Uruguayan economy. I mean, Frey Bentos uh, was the first place that had electric lighting. In the country, you know, it was driven, but you know, and if you go there now, there's the there's the there's the modern town of Freventos, there's the plant, and then there's um, you know what looks like quite a you know a South American take on a British village, and it's you know that's where a lot of the um, a lot of the um, the plants you know senior staff who are often European and many of them were British um, lived, and you know there's rose bushes and stuff, and it kind of it feels more evocative of you know where I am here in the UK than, 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 than perhaps in Uruguay. And, and there was, so there was lots and lots of linkages and interactions and, you know, and I think, and also I like the story because it's a lot of the things that we take for granted or that we think of as more modern, you know, inventions such as the industrialization of, you know, food production and, you know, the, the, the way we eat and cook and shop for food. 
um, actually had it had you know, had their origins, you know, further back and in a place that you know we often don't really think about that much. Yeah, and those connections that you know you're trying to create with all these different places that are kind of overlooked, it just seems to make the world, you know, a little more complicated, but a little more interesting, right? Where there's just so many different things happening that are making all the things around us, you know, come into being, you know, nothing is really simple, you know, after you read some of your articles, (laughs) (laughs) Um, which I actually think is really nice. Um, I think that that's one of the really wonderful things that travel writing can do is, you know, help people realize that the world is tricky and there's a lot of strings moving in a lot of different directions. Um, but that's awesome, right? That so many different things can be playing together, uh, to create the world that we know it as today. Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. I mean, you used the word nuance earlier and, you know, (laughs) if if there's one, you know, one word that would define the, the, you know, the way I try to write is, you know, just adding nuance to things and, you know, very few things are, are black and white. There's all of these connections. Also, just on a basic level, both from a from a writing point of view, but and hopefully from a reader's point of view, these are just interesting stories. You know, these are just great stories. There's often great characters. They're often in incredible parts of the world. Um, they've had these important, uh, you know, ramifications. Some of which are playing out. You know, continue to play out today. You know, maybe a hundred years or two hundred years or five hundred years later. Um, you know, and they just deserve, you know, deserve to be better, better known, really. And I just think, I, you know, I'm, I'm lucky in the sense, you know, that, you know, writing about, you know, writing for an English language audience about Latin America. You know, there's so many of these, you know, there's so many of these stories, um, you know, that you could tell that, you know, you, you know, you would need several lifetimes to do it. And I think it's probably because, you know, there's so much focus on, you know, certain parts of the world and kind of, you know, it, it, it means that, you know, it kind of, it's a shame, but it also opens up a gap for, you know, if, if you want to write and investigate, you know, other parts of the world and, and, and their stories. Yeah, you know, we get a lot of questions at Intrepid Times around, you know, how do I know what's interesting to write about? And, you know, it seems like such kind of a weird question for people who have been travel writing for a while because they kind of learn just kind of naturally what's interesting for people. Um, but for people starting out, that's, generally kind of a difficult question to answer like what will people find interesting i mean do you have a little bit of advice for people kind of asking that question yeah i mean i i think there's almost there's interest in almost anything it's it just depends on the way you write about it and the way that you can you know uh make it make it seem or feel relevant to people I'll give you an example example of that. I, you know, I wrote a piece um, for the BBC a couple of years ago on um, uh, agricultural terracing, so terraced fields in the Andes. Um, now that doesn't sound the most exciting on the paper. On paper, it doesn't sound the most exciting travel article. Um, but you know, if you go to Peru or Bolivia or Ecuador or many other places, you will see these these beautiful terraced fields. Um, but that was really, it was just an excuse, you know, that, that was a little way into to telling the story about the Inca and how they use these terrace fields as agricultural laboratories that were incredibly sophisticated, that allowed them to develop, you know, the, the biggest empire in, you know, in South America at the time. Um, but it also has relevance to us today because a lot of, you know, the techniques they use were, 
very efficient from a water usage point of view. Um, they were able to grow, you know, a, a huge density of crops and develop a surplus. Um, and it was a jumping off point for exploring all other kinds, you know, many, many other kinds of issues from, you know, Isla del Sol, which is the island in Lake Titicaca, where supposedly, according to uh, Inca beliefs, the, uh, the sun and the moon were born, to, um, to Kipu, which is a series of colourful tied knots, which was, you know, an Inca system of, you know, you know, language that they used to record information, maybe even even to, you know, write poems or, you know, histories as as well. So, you know, almost almost anything can be a kind of, you know, a jumping off point to an interesting story. And personally, I always look for things that, you know, seem unlikely or seem unusual or, you know, may not be traditionally connected with what, you know, what we would think of as travel writing. Um, and kind of go go from there because you can often once you start digging a bit and particularly in places that are undercovered um you know you can find some incredible stories and many of which are relevant to to today and i think that's that's why i love travel writing this is it's a huge it's a broad church you know you can cover a huge range of issues you can you know take it whichever way you whichever way you you want really so um you know I think if if you can find you know the, the, the grain or the germ of a you know an int- interesting story that's interesting to you, you know, with, you know, with a bit of work you can make that in- interesting to a to a wider audience as well. Yeah, no, that's great. Thank you so much for that. Um, I actually think that's a great place to to wrap things up. I think that's a very positive note to leave people on. Um, I will make sure for all the listeners to link to the articles that we mentioned while we've been speaking. Um, and Shafiq, where can people find your book if they want to grab it? Uh, it uh, Crossed off the map, Travels in Bolivia is available from all good and bad bookshops, all the usual suspects. Um, but uh, if you need to find some links, you can go to my website, which is shafiqmenchi.com. Uh, and that's got uh, yeah more about me and my latest articles and books and all of that jazz. All right, well, thank you so much, Shafiq. This has been really, really interesting. I'm so glad we got to chat about all this today. Um, thank you so much. Oh, my absolute pleasure, Jennifer. Thank you for inviting me on. It was, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed our chat. (laughs) Thanks, Javik.